Hey, Soraya, welcome to the Steve Wynn Paisley Stage Raspberry and Rhyme episode. I, I like it. Sounds really good. It does sound good. So um, about a month and a half ago, we talked to Steve about the Down There record label that Steve uh, started and operated with the help of Russ Tolman, we learned. And uh, during that conversation, or before that conversation and preparing for that, Steve had a recommendation for us, didn't he? Yes, he did. And a, and a uh, suggestion or a request, a request, I should say, to, right. uh, to run the show. So he's going to run today's show. So I think we're going to be more of a, observers than anything today, Soraya. I'm okay with it. I like to learn all the time. So yeah. I have a feeling today's guest will do just that. Uh, do you want to let our listeners know? Besides Steve Wynn, our guest host, yes, um, who who are we having on the podcast today? Yes, so Steve requested that we talk to Tom Grasick. So Tom, I only knew Tom as an employee of Freakbeat Records, formerly of Moby Disc Records, right? Um, but according to Steve, Tom is ground zero for Paisley Underground. So I think we're we're in for learning something today. Um, I think you're right. Yeah, I have seen um, Tom's name on photo credits for a number of record albums, including records from Russ Tolman, Dream Syndicate. I got a little list here. Gutterball, Concrete Blonde, Ghost House. So he's taking some pictures. And uh, um, also, he's got some pictures in this new book, um, Go Further, uh, More Literary Appreciations of Power Pop. Oh, you got a copy, too. Nice, nice. So, um, so Steve's going to run the show today. It looks like Steve and Tom are on the line. So um, we'll um, let them enter this room and see what happens. And um, at the end of the show, we're hoping to learn a little bit more about the Dream Syndicate recordings, um, a little bit more about Tom's book. I don't know if we'll talk about that during Steve's conversation, but at the end, and then hopefully we can push um, Steve to learn a little bit about his house concerts, which should be yeah. happening. By the time this posts and maybe a little bit about the documentary the dream syndicate documentary but i don't know what's going to happen today this is steve's show so. <laughs> <laughs> well welcome everyone to the steve win uh show and i was going to say steve win hour but who knows how long it's left. <laughs> right. let's get started hi this is soraya and this is jeff our podcast is called Paisley Stage Raspberry and Rhyme. A podcast where the two of us play music that we like and share anecdotes and background about the tunes. We hope you'll join our conversation. And without further ado, agroviar. Let's get groovy. Soraya, today on Paisley Stage Raspberry and Rhyme, we have Steve Wynn as a co-host today. And um, I'm not sure what we're in for today. Of course... <laughs> from a, a number of projects, most notably um, Dream Syndicate, Gutterball, Baseball Project, his solo stuff. I mean, the list is endless, right? We talked to Steve about, from, about his work with the Down There record label, which was very yeah. interesting. I loved that conversation. But Steve has a different uh, path for us today, and he's going to be taking the driver's seat. We're going to step into the back. Um, I'm sure we're going to have questions, to, uh, and we might interject, of course. But today, uh, we've got Steve Wynn as our co-host. Um, Steve, take it away. Okay. Um, and yeah, I've been a guest on the show, and I've 
and you know how much I love the show, what you guys are doing. And I've been kind of nagging you on and off over since you began about the unsung hero, one of the great unsung heroes of the scene. And every, you know, every, every music scene has some unsung hero. I was thinking today about maybe whoever the guy who was booking the, 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 the star club in Hamburg brought the Beatles over. That guy, you know, had a lot to do with what happened after that, you know, and, and, and other scenes like that as well. Well, Tom Grasick is, in my mind, ground zero, unsung hero number one of Paisley Underground, with, without whom maybe none of this would happen. And let me make a case for that before we start talking to the, the great and soon, soon not to be unheralded Tom Grasick. Um, and and I, I started going to school at UC Davis in 1977 when I was 17 years old. And uh, this was a great, exciting time for music because when punk rock kind of flourishing going getting into full swing and and um like a lot of people at that time i got caught up in that and loved it and was excited about it and i started writing reviews for the uc davis um, newspaper the aggie and through doing that i met tom grasick who was the resident music critic at the paper and tom was um still is actually a little older than me as a matter of fact and uh <laughs> strangely enough and he was kind of, you know, he was already in the scene as the as a music critic and working at KDBS, the radio station there. And uh, over the next couple of years, Tom, was, as music director, really shaped the sound of KDBS. It became a station that went from being what at the time we thought was the uncool direction of hippie music. Turns out now it's music that I'm probably more influenced by than anything. They were playing things like Noi and Can and Faust. We had to... And, and stuff like that. We had to get rid of that stuff and bring in punk rock. <laughs> and, um, and, 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 Tom, and Tom was a gigantic influence through his great musical knowledge and taste and being hip to things that at the time were completely unknown. I, I think a big star off the top of my head that he was talking about before anybody even knew who they were. Tom turned, on, turned us onto this music. And by us, I mean myself. Ken Smith, who was my bandmate in the Dream Syndicate, Russ Tolman, who um, who formed True West. We were all DJs there under Tom's tutelage. Um, Scott Miller, who was living in uh, Game Theory, who was living in Davis, listening to KDBS. Guy Kaiser, the kid you know who was our guitar roadie and eventually became a DJ and then formed Thin White Rope. This was a, an amazing circle of musicians, and Tom was the guy we looked to to turn us on to all music. He he knew his stuff, and he was. I'm speaking of you as though you're not here, Tom, but, but you, you're, he was hip to free jazz and you know, everything we'd want to discover and would sort of almost dole it out to us in, in time where we were as, um, students in music. And that had a lot to do with shaping what we all ended up doing. And um, now, Tom, um, skipping forward is, is, Tom, I don't know what to say. Are you, are you would I say the manager or of Freak Feet? Was that, is that fair to say? Yeah, we yeah. Bob Say is the owner operator, although that makes him sound like a long haul trucker. And so we, <laughs> he's got we say that I'm the guy. manager. Okay. <laughs> yeah, he so, was so, a lifer. So there you go. So Tom Grace is the manager of the great freak freak beat record store in um, in in the San Fernando Valley, Los Angeles. That I'm sure a lot of you have been to or shopped at. And um, in between, West Bridge Hotel has worked with Moby Disc Records. Has, and um you, know, you got me the stadium. job at moby disc records that's right of course, it's all steve's fault it, steve it, got me started down this path i had never worked retail before 
And Steve, uh, I was living in Berkeley after graduating from college, just rather ripped records would not hire me. I was trying to get a job as a DJ somewhere, but that wasn't panning out. And Steve said, hey, I'm working at this store called Moby Disc. I think I could get you a job if you want to move down here. And and yeah, I'm still in some ways there. <laughs> for, for 40 plus years later. And that, yes. and, and that was um, um, 1980. 1980. 80, right. So, you know, yeah. I had just moved back to L.A. Um, I, it was still another year plus, a little over a year before I'd formed the Dream Syndicate. And I was work, going to school at UCLA and, and, and working at Moby Disc. But that's going forward. I want to circle back primarily, first of all, to those years in Davis. And I really, you know, Tom, I can't emphasize enough. I've, I've wanted to make this case for so long how much... You know, I, I think I feel like all of us were into music, you know, Russ, Tom, all, all the people I named, we were all into cool stuff, but we needed some context, some way to kind of let that flourish, to learn about what we were going to be learning, to go from just, well, I'm into the into the who and the Beatles and the kinks to be able to say I'm into all this crazy stuff. And you really kind of led us along. Is this fair to say? Am I overselling you? Well, it's always the case where you would have picked something up somewhere along the way along these lines. But yeah, I definitely was channeling a lot of this music into people at the radio station. That was kind of my job. And before that, at the Cal Davis Aggie writing for the newspaper, I just I mainly wanted to get free records. But I also wanted to write about things that people wanted to listen or should be listening to. And when you say that we got onto KDBS to steer them away from playing Noi and Can. No, no, the way I see it, mm -hmm. they just wanted to be another version of KZAP, which was the AOR station out of Sa Sacramento. Oh, and they were playing Linda Ronstadt and Jack. They were playing all the LA Mafia stuff. Oh. Uh, Eagles. Oh, it was it was the worst. Um, I get the kind I, of music I that is credit, my God. <laughs> yeah, there there weren't that I mean there were a couple people there who were hip, especially some of the older guys that were on the jazz tip and, and they kind of got me started because when I met them, they're like Oh, you know about Anthony Braxton? Oh, well, uh, and you know about the Ramones? Oh, hey, why don't you come down and hang out? Just as many years later, I remember Guy Kaiser coming down to hang out during my show. He's sitting there, very quiet guy. He just he had these huge boots. We thought he was a farmer. He was from, where was he, Ridgecrest or Trona? Ridgecrest, and, and, he, uh, and he ended up being a farmer, essentially. <laughs> yes, he ended up being a, a agricultural scientist, which is yes. why you would be in Davis in the first place. Right. That's where you learn how to tip cows. <laughs> tip cows. I mean, but you know, and the thing is, it, this whole thing while it's happening, while you, you know, you were just ahead of this curve, but in that time, a lot was going on in Davis with, you know, with, with Peter Afterman booking the coffee house and bringing in, I've spoken to right. this in, in previous interviews, but incredible. We were in a luck, we were so lucky to be in this small town where we got to see the likes of, yeah, Devo and the Ramones and Elvis Costello and Iggy and XTC. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera, in a tiny 250 capacity coffee house, and and I'm really and I feel like you, you know, what was it like? I mean, it's one thing for me to say I started going there in 1977 when things were already rocking. You started in being involved in the paper and the radio station in '76. Is that right? No, no, I didn't start till '77. Oh, you're and, kidding. Uh, I'm learning a lot here. Yeah, things weren't really rocking that much. Like I say, the I can remember sniffing around the radio station, talking to the music director at the time, and he was opening his mail. And I remember he got a 
they, they used to get a lot of seven inch singles promos in the mail to play to consider because they reported to the Gavin report, which was unusual, but the station had 5,000 watts of power. So they were on this, one of the few college stations who were getting all these singles. And I remember he opened up a, a Ramones record and he threw it in the trash. I mean, he literally opened oh it up. God. He said, ah, oh, this is garbage. <laughs> he threw it in his uh, wastebasket. And I just said, I got to fix this, man. This is totally wrong. I'm tired of hearing Little Feet. I love Little Feet. We love Little Feet. <laughs> At the time, though, sure. all right. that music was on the decline. And, you know, there was so much good new music starting to come through. And I just said, well, here's a chance. I, if I can get into this radio station, I mean, maybe I can play good music and or stuff I want to hear. Just like I had been reviewing Perubu at the Cal Aggie. Right. Um, and at the time, I thought, well, I don't know if anybody cares about this, but it, it was my contribution to whatever the scene was. I wasn't a musician, and uh, but I definitely wanted to contribute. And, and that was the start doing record reviews and concert reviews at the Cal Aggie and then getting on the KDVS and then um, meeting all the, the people. Most, they weren't all younger than me. I think actually Russ, I think is a year older than me and we have some similar background and, you know, we grew up listening to Quicksilver messenger service and the Rolling Stones and stuff mm. like that. And, and I know, I think Russ has said, you know, but at this point it's like, Oh, Leonard Skinner doesn't seem so hip compared to Elvis Costello or the dam. <laughs> and, uh, that was the kind of stuff that I definitely, as a music director, especially, I said, here, here are the records that, that we should be playing. And, and they used to have the, the uh, promo stickers on the front that would list each song with a little box next to it. And I would check, you know, a couple of the best songs and, and those tended to be the songs that gained some traction. And, uh, you, Russ became music director and then you were music director. Uh, no, I mean, no, no, no. Sorry. Program, was, director. program director. Yeah. You, right. Yes. Yeah. And so the thing is you guys were picking the young kids and, and I was saying, okay, here's the music you want to play. And within a year or two, there was no Linda Ronstadt playing on no, KDVS. No. It, no. <laughs> Cause that's what it had been. And, you know, I, I, I mean, now I'm, I'm thinking back because you and I became pretty fast friends and we just you know started doing a lot when we became roommates almost by my in my sophomore year and we were roommates for, yeah. for a couple of years um yeah so we were hanging out a lot i had no but our i'm trying to remember i first of all were you put off when this kid from la comes up and starts taking some of those free promo records to review at the aggie <laughs> was that did you, did you not like that <laughs> did i get under your skin <laughs> i said what does the sports writer think he's doing <laughs> pulling these records? I was a sports editor at the time. That's right. <laughs> and our the the entertainment editor Derek Bang he used Derek an exclamation Bang. point yes, at the end of his uh, name. Yeah. <laughs> he said, oh, "Okay, there's the free records, and uh, oh, here's this new guy, Steve Wynn, and uh, mm -hmm. you guys, you guys sorted out." And we and did. I, I didn't pull rank so much, but I, I do remember the one time. You remember in, in fall of '77 when Sire put out all those new wave records at once. They had a poster and I think it was talking heads, Absolutely, dead boys, yeah. saints, maybe the Ramones. And, and I said, Richard I kind of elbowed you. They'd say Richard hell. Yeah. And I was aware of all that. So I'm a big Ramones fan already. And I just said, um, Steve, I'm going to take these records. Cause I, I really need to. Yeah. And uh, here, why don't you review this new Todd Rundgren album? Cause you like him. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. It's funny. You mentioned that Tom, because I feel like, and I know you have a cassette of this, I I think you've got me on the yeah. KDVS first 
to do a wrap up of of the best music of 1977. And we did that. We co-hosted that. And I was at the time, I'm yes. not DJ, just like the other Aggie writer. And I've heard that you, you played that for me or gave me a copy not long ago. And you're giving me a hard time. You're actually like, you know, I'm because because you're <laughs> you're already you're already got your coolness in place where I remember I had on my list the record by Todd Runk by Utopia called Oops Wrong Planet. And I think you gave me a little bit of grief about that. Yeah, because of course the big record that year was television, Marquee Moon. And basically I was trying to say, oh Steve, put away Genesis and uh Todd Rundgren <laughs> and Peter Gabriel and and you gotta check out television and um groups like this. And yeah, we did our rundown of the year and I remember, but the I, I will admit that it was a learning experience for me the whole time because uh Cheap Trick was a band that I had ignored up to that point and you really lobbied for them and I, I got to uh be a big fan obviously and and so it was a two-way street I, I mean I picked up a few things I didn't know about uh and of course you and some other people brought up uh, an LA sensibility so you knew about some of the LA bands like X at some point at some and, point uh, yeah I, you know yeah. yeah and that was the stuff that I uh, learned about from you guys so so you're, you're we all were pretty open-minded at the time but I definitely was uh trying to open your mind a little bit more <laughs> And you, did, and you did a good job of it. And you, I mean, you definitely knew things we got into. I remember, for example, like I said, you turning me on to Big Star in 1978, the, the, that double record online that yeah, ended and up- Big Star Third came out. And Big Star Third came out, that's right. And, I, and the thing is, I remember, you know, at that time, who knew about Big Star? Like, in, like you and maybe Peter Holzapfel, and that was it in the whole country. That, that might've, you know, made, made, made- And probably- <laughs> Probably the guys that rather ripped records yeah. where we used to go shopping. That's and true. Yeah. Ray Farrell would uh, say, oh, you, you guys need this record. And we don't. Oh, yeah, I've heard about this. Sure. The residents. Uh, no, thanks, Ray. We'll pass. Until we'll pass yeah, time. he was. He, 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 <laughs> Ray Farrell is another big unsung hero of that scene. <laughs> now, if I. If yeah. I, now, keep. I remember Kendra Smith was at the station before I was, I believe. Right. She was there early on. She was in public affairs. Right. Was she public affairs director at I think, one point? I think so. Did you? And I can remember. What do you remember about it? I remember. At first. Yeah. The first thing I can remember my, in an interaction with Kendra, I was doing my show and she was there because she was working on some, you know, farm report. And she came by the <laughs> booth and I, I think I was playing Train Train by the Count Bishops or the 101ers wow. doing Key to My Heart. Wow. And she just said, uh, hey, what's this music, man? This is really cool. It kind of reminds me of like the Rolling Stones or something. And I'm <laughs> like, oh, yeah, here's this, this new band. And they, yeah, this is great stuff. And next thing you know, uh, she decided to become a DJ. And she met you and you guys started hanging out a lot. Um, right. Going to shows. We, we went to a lot of shows, obviously. Yeah. And so she went from being public affairs to being the, the, the cool chick on the scene. And she was. And the thing is, you know, that's I always talk about the scene we had in Davis at the time with you, you know, with, with all of us hanging out and um, that it was such a small scene that we were lucky in a way to be part of doing what we were doing. Yeah. And the, in a really the coffee house scene wasn't really happening yet. I mean, Peter After, Afterman hadn't gotten those bands that were coming through. And, and part of it was the support of KDVS, which we put in place. It was a geographical invention that the coffee house and freeborn hall would get instead of just jerry garcia band uh the bands could play if they're playing san francisco 
they could stick around for another day and play Davis or Sacramento. So that's why Davis got a lot of uh, shows because it was so close to San Francisco. Oh, yeah. You're trying to fill those days. Believe me, I'm still doing that. Yeah. <laughs> fill those off days. <laughs> Davis was an off day yes, for... Exactly. <laughs> it's, a, it's a classic fill-in date. Well, there's a little college town outside of Sacramento that, that can pay you a little bit of money. You know, you want, you can maybe you'll pay for your hotel. So, yeah. Okay, we'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, and this just came up recently. I didn't know about this, but you and somebody sent out a, a link about sting on the howard stern show a few years ago saying yeah i owe my whole career to there were these two radio stations uh in uh, that were playing roxanne and one of them was this one station over here and then there was this college station in northern california and the, the police did come through and and play a couple times and i definitely remember playing roxanne in our apartment the first time i got the record and i played it like six times in a row just trying to figure it out and deciding it was just amazing and I'm not sure if you were on board, but eventually everybody got on board. I wasn't. And, yeah. <laughs> but for Sting to remember, oh, yeah, UC Davis, they were early supporters. It's like, oh, that's amazing. I mean, you never know what anybody's memory is going to be like, but it's a funny thing. But well, yeah, yeah, that was. Talk, you about, know. talk about Unsung Hero. I mean, you, you know, you're, it's always somebody who launched the band's <laughs> yeah. career, and you, you were a, a pivotal part. In the, I'm in sorry, the everybody. No, I'm no, sorry I, about Mr. We're Sting. Okay, we're okay with that. <laughs> but because we reported it to this uh, Gavin report, then it looked like a hot single for somebody, and it, you know, that was part of the snowball. You know, you, it's such a, a minuscule thing, but for me to learn years later that Sting remembered us, it's like, well, I guess it meant something to somebody. That was cool. Yeah. But that was it. That was part of my contribution was trying to channel that stuff out to the listeners. And we had listeners in Sacramento because we were a, a strong station. Yep. And so there were clubs in Sacramento, like Slick Willies and later, what was it called? Uh, I want to say Stagecoach. Um, oh, that's later on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, but I mean, so these the things all snow. China wagon. The China wagon. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it was just a matter of it was me and, and everybody else that, that I became friends with. And we just channeled everything away from the Eagles towards Elvis Costello. And there was a music scene there, you know, obviously with 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 my band Suspects, with with Kendra and Russ. Yes. And the and couple of uh, Sacramento bands like the Twinkies and Ozzy and the, the Mumbles. Mumbles, yeah. Yeah. What, what, what did you think? So of, they were what, what, okay. Now you're, you're obviously your friends with people involved there, you know, you know, you know, all, all the people in suspects and you see the other bands yet you're hip to what's happening around the world as we all were. What did you think of? And I'm not, I'm not seeking praise here. <laughs> what did you think about our crazy, our weird local scene that ended up being kind of the, 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 the Genesis, not to bring up Genesis gang, because I can see I'm going to get trouble for that, but, <laughs> but, the, but get but, off of but, that, but, but the Genesis, the Genesis of, all these Paisley bands. What did you think of the scene in Davis? Uh, you can be honest. You know, it seemed it, it seemed to grow really organically and naturally, and everybody had uh, some talent. I mean, it was just it wasn't a you know, it was what a hundred people that would get together at most for uh, yeah. some shows, not the coffee out shows. When the national acts would come through, that it would be sold out. Mm -hmm. But Devo would be playing and then they'd come down to the radio station and we'd interview them. And of course, we had promoted all these shows. Come, you know, we didn't promote the Oregon show coming up that much, but 
when Devo was coming to town, we got all excited. Oh, yeah. Iggy Pop was, hey, we're going to be interviewing Iggy Pop here. So he's, he's playing at the, the coffee house. And blah, blah, blah. And so we we showed that there was a market for it. And that's why it got booked into the coffee house. A lot of the new wave acts. Um, so it was very organic. It was funny because what we used to go uh, to see what the Beano brothers, was that their name on a Thursday night at the, what was that hotel that, guy kaiser ended up living in um, with the, the antique bazaar no, the... antique bazaar and places like that and yeah. so i was thinking about this the other day i was remembering um that uh finding out that you and kendra were, were like really into soul music but you were doing this new wave thing and i always thought well how come you don't well no you probably shouldn't do any soul songs with your new wave talents um yeah that's, that's... <laughs> how did you <laughs> but you were I remember you guys did a Ramon song. I think you did we Don't did. Come Close. We have a good memory. We did. And the one I thought, yeah, one that was really uh, impressive was Do Anything You Want to Do. Yeah. It's like, wow, that's a that's a big song to try and do. It's, and you pulled it off. And it's like, yeah, this is great. I mean, it's and then you had all the originals would fit right in with those songs. So I thought it was a good scene. I mean, uh, I, I never know, doubted it. We were, we were, obviously we were picking up on things, you know, I, I think the talking heads were a big role model for us because you could look at like the talking heads and say, yeah, we can kind of do that. It couldn't be a soul band. Right. I, I think as much as we like, you know, <laughs> as much as we love soul music, that was five <laughs> steps ahead of what we could, we could do, but you know, psycho, right. psycho killer, I can pull that off. <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember on the suspects record, uh, Russ basically doing the, the guitar solo was Rock Around the Clock, which I thought was really cool, but it was faster. That's Am funny. I remembering that right? You are, you are. That's funny. By the way, Tom, you, you, um, I should tell the listeners, you, well, you and I went to the last Sex Pistols show, both writing about the Aggie, and your face is inside the, the, in, the, um, the, um, the, 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 the sleeve the of great rock the and great rock and roll swindle. Yes. You can pick out Tom's face in the crowd scene there. So And arm. And the reason I can pick myself out of the crowd is because I happen to be holding my arm up at that minute. And actually, later editions of the records are missing that photo. Oh, I don't like that. So it's not in all, kind of like the Bob Dylan blonde on blonde. You know how they removed Claudia Cardinale the, in the, the original? No, okay, no. My, yeah, the, the blonde on blonde, the original gatefold spread had a photo that they had to later remove, just like the Sex Pistols later removed my picture from the gay fold. Terrible. Yeah. I didn't know yeah. that. I don't admit that makes me unhappy. Well, I mean, it, I, <laughs> I, 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 it's funny because like now you're, we had this three years in Davis. We were all together there and, you know, doing the station. Um, you say Guy Kaiser was coming up there. I met Scott Miller around that time because he was, yeah. uh, he was dating my ex-girlfriend, Carolyn. And, and Carolyn played me his, the tape that became his first EP and I said, oh, my God, this guy's alternate learning, alternate learning. Right. And I freaked out over it. And I, yeah. said, and I thought this guy is obviously the biggest big star fan ever. And <laughs> turned out he never heard of Alex Chilton or big star so <laughs> through you. I was able to turn him on to the music that became his. Yeah. His main calling card. I remember we went over to his house one time and we were in his bedroom. And that maybe that was when he said, oh, big star. No, one ever heard of them. And um <laughs> So we were, we were getting to know him. And then when the first alternate learning seven inch came out with this intricate, elaborate packaging, there were some quotations from some uh, different people in it. And I, I was quoted anonymously as saying, 
Well, obviously they've been listening to yes. <laughs> really? That's funny. <laughs> and and it's only I only said that because they had he had a synthesizer. Yeah. You know, and so I'm like, oh, oh synthesizer's bad. Guitar's good. And uh, so obviously and I was thinking about this the other day. You remember uh, for a while, the keyboard player was a woman named Lynn Ross, of course. who was a DJ. She was a DJ at KDVS. It was one of those deals. She and I used to dance together at some of these shows. I mean, it was the sort of thing you'd, you'd if you felt like dancing, you'd get up and you'd dance with whoever was enjoying it. And I remember once or twice at an alternate learning show, she played keyboards and she would just hit a button, which basically was a sequencer. Mm -hmm. And so she jumped, she jumped off the stage and she ran out to me where I was up front and we just started dancing around for a minute. And then she just jumped back on stage and continued with the song. Uh. And, and that was so much fun. I mean, that yeah. was just part of the scene. It was pretty tight, pretty small. And we were just all having a lot of fun. Yeah, there wasn't pressure I mean, for anybody to be anything. I mean, I think, like I said earlier, no. I think had we been DJs, in Berkeley or LA or, or, or if I had been in a new wave band in LA or San Francisco or even working in a record store, any of those kinds of things, I think you would have felt more pressure to have your game on right away. And we didn't have to do that. Yeah. We had the freedom. But you did work at a record store. You and Kendra worked at Eucalyptus Records in Davis, oh, right? Yeah. Oh, yes, we did. You, yeah. Eucalyptus Records, where unlike other record stores <laughs> I worked at in my life, we had a strict playlist. And I, you, you probably know this, Tom, but we had, they had a very strict playlist that we had to follow and never veer away from, maybe 20 records. And I remember the three records I could stand on the playlist was Get the Knack and Labor of Love by Nick Lowe and, um, oh, and The Car's Candy. So three, three decent records. But I heard those records so many times, I'm amazed I can still listen to them because probably the next best thing, the next best thing on there was probably Ted Nugent in 10 City and 10 City. So like, that's, how, that's how quickly that, that quality dropped off. We, we worked there wow. selling, selling mostly screens for, for, for hash pipes. That was kind of our <laughs> main sale item there. Well, the, the hip record store was across the street. It was Barney's. You're right. And, uh, they sold a little bit. I remember I did some street postering for A&M Records for a little while. Bob Garcia was supposedly my boss. And I, I never met the guy, but they would send me posters and I'd go to Barney's and do a Joe Jackson display because he had a new record out. And I, I did that briefly, which um, I guess that paved the way for thinking about working in a record store. And um, but Barney's was a little hipper. Yeah, it uh, was. My, my brothers had actually worked at Eucalyptus Records in Fairfield before you were working. No, maybe at the same time. But it was a little bit hipper in the mid 70s. They used to I don't know if they actually sold a lot of ECM records. But the guy who was running that place was a barefoot kid who worked with my brother. They were seniors in high school. And that's where in 74, when I just got sick of the Doobie Brothers and the Eagles and stuff like that. And my brother would bring home these records on this label called ECM mm. and Keith Jarrett and mm -hmm. John Garborek. And I was like, yeah, this is pretty cool stuff. And uh, he also would bring home the Ramones and Patti Smith and. So that's where I was able to hear a lot of that stuff because you might read about it in Cream, but you there was no radio that was playing it. Mm. Even uh, a hip station like KSAN out of San Francisco, they were still playing Van Morrison and the Rolling Stones, which is great. That's what I grew up on. But other than Howie Klein's Outcast Hour, mm -hmm. they, were, they weren't. And that again, that that was later. That was later. That's where right. you would hear the yeah, you would hear the nuns and the Sex Pistols and hear about the Mabuhai Gardens, but 
even by then, I think I was about to do my radio show, Shake Some Action, which was the punk and new wave outlet in, in Davis. Oh, yes. You know, I mean, I every time I think I always say like, hearing the song Shake Some Action is like a it's like a Pavlovian thing for me, because whenever I hear that, <laughs> I think your show is starting. It's just like it brings back it really does. It brings back memories of because, of course, besides being your roommate, you also, you know, I would listen to your show just to get yeah. turned on to things. So hearing the sound of that song always told me good things are coming. It's like, here we go. We're going to hear yeah. some, some great, great music. And, you know, it's, look, I, I was talking to Pat Thomas about doing the show yesterday. We were talking, I said, Pat, I'm going to interview Tom Gracie. He said, oh, that's great. Well, Tom's got some strong opinions. Not that Pat does. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I want Pat Thomas to interview me. <laughs> well, I'll do the best I can. And next time we'll have Pat. So I, I, yeah. I'm, my days, my days as a journalist and, and, and radio host are long past. I'm hoping I'm doing a good job. And by the way, Jeff Thrive, do you have any questions for Tom about this period? I, I feel like I'm monopolizing the. Oh, they—they're either entranced or they've fallen asleep. <laughs> entranced. We vote for entranced. No, we're we're enjoying the the story, the the timeline. So okay, we're yeah, yeah, because it was it was early days. It was, and it was. So by the reason I bring up the opinionated thing, it's not just a non sequitur but the fact that i think we all were as much as we were friends and we hung out with you we were also a little intimidated or at least wanted to impress you you because you were the, there first because you knew about things so i think that you know yeah i was a little bit older yeah and i i did i don't think i was being a jerk about it but i was definitely saying oh come on this this is the way i mean how can you deny the the power of this of this record can put that the Peter Gabriel guy, what a wimp. Get a come on, get right. a life. Well, hey, those records, those rec- I've been listening to those records a lot lately and they hold up. I have no problem with that. Okay. Yeah. Peter, third yeah. Peter Gabriel. But that aside, um, yeah, because hey, I play I play in a prog psychedelic band now. So you know they're gonna <laughs> <That's true. laughs> looking for as it turns out, strangely enough. No, I mean, but I you know, I I remember not just maybe the music all of us were into. Everybody had their skeletons in their claws and something they might in 1977 not be proud to have been into but even more than that when punk rock and new wave happened there are always red herrings along the way bands that you thought might be the cool one i remember like say the fabulous poodles or something like that you know who weren't, weren't the worst band in the world but i remember you would be the one to steer away from no 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 Just forget this fabulous poodle stuff and listen to this instead or listen you know don't listen to pearl harbor and the explosion or listen to the pretenders or it was, it was always some kind of thing where you kept us on track and you would say, if, somebody, if someone plays something on their show, you let them have it. As music director, you'd say, <laughs> you'd say it's like, oh, it's that garbage. But that kept, well, yeah, you did. <laughs> when, when Ken Gold brought back the B-52's Rock Lobster and I got sick of hearing it every hour, I was like, oh, come on, this is just getting out of hand. Uh, I don't know if you remember that. <laughs> I don't, I don't, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, again, there was a bit of an LA influence coming up um well we were all looking for things uh, you know and i think that we, yeah you know, we were all looking yeah we were but all... i was also being fed things as a music director i was getting lots of records in the mail and they'd get phone calls from the record labels and they'd say hey we got this hot new band here blah blah blah, blah, blah. hey why don't you come uh, see them in san francisco they're playing the old waldorf hey we're gonna have dinner with them you know blah 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 <laughs> and then you'd find out that uh Hey, Angel City actually has a couple of good hard rock songs. I mean, if you want to listen to Cheap Trick, <laughs> you could also play this song here. And um, But on the other hand, I had a guy, there's a guy named Kenny Ryback who's still out there. He was a 
uh, independent promo guy. He worked for Acoin Management, who was the brains behind selling Kiss to America. And when the Kiss guys put out solo albums at the same time, there were four solo Kiss albums that came out. He used to call me every week and say, oh, come on, Tom, these Kiss albums, you got to add them to KDVS, man. Because, I mean, the Gene Simmons, the Paul they each one is a great album. And you got, I really would like a report on this. If you, if your report in the Gavin has showed these records, man, that would be so, and I'm just like, no, <laughs> no, <laughs> stop calling me. No. <laughs> Don't call me anymore. I will never know. And it, he would call me every week. Oh man. Are you playing those kiss records yet? And I'm like, no, they're not even in the bins. The DJs have no access to them. And uh, I still know the guy 45 years later, and uh, <laughs> we laugh about it now. Yeah, now. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah. yeah, I definitely was trying to steer through the minefields. No, what got into the bins, and like, as much as I joke about being on a strict playlist at Eucalyptus, we had a playlist at KDVS in that only the best of the best got added to it. So I can still see those little wooden bins behind the turntables in the DJ booth. And it wasn't a large selection. Like you, things got whittled down to things you and really only you determined was good enough to be played on the station. You were the barometer. Yeah, player. I determined which new records went into the bins, and then I would try and steer people to certain songs. But everybody was also listening to the radio station at the time, so they would hear the the best songs and say, "That is a great song. I'm going to play that on my next show." Right, because everybody was on the air once a week. And so if there was a new Clash song that was just, ah, oh, this is amazing. I, I can't wait to play London Calling on my show. <laughs> then, you know, you're going to hear London Calling every day on KDVS. Yeah. And uh, you weren't hearing uh, Linda Ronstadt and the Eagles anymore. Well, I have a question for both of you guys. Um, and talking about the radio station, did you guys have callers call in and give you feedback on what, what you guys were? <laughs> oh, yeah, we had fans. We the DJ would just, we were sitting there alone in the booth. And if we wanted to answer the phone, phone and there were some DJs, calls, I would do, of course, that would, I would uh, take, a, yeah, I, you would I, ask, the people well, I know. Yeah. It wasn't a call in, uh, but people would call with requests. Although I never asked for requests. Some people asked for a lot of requests and somewhere along the line, you still get people calling. I remember for a couple of years, Every Wednesday night, some guy would call up and request Shady Grove by Quicksilver Messenger Service. It's like, <laughs> oh, every couple of weeks I'd play. Oh, no. A dedicated listener. And, and then uh, I remember at the end of my tenure there that uh, we used to play Fish Heads by Barnes and Barnes. You remember that? It was, oh, I mean, yeah, it was a course. novelty song, but it was, uh, we played some novelty novelty type stuff. And I remember the last show I did these two little girls I mean high school girls came in they were fans and they presented me with this nicely wrapped little box that I opened up and it was a couple of plastic fish heads because they loved that song and they oh, used to request it that's great like yeah so people would call you would get some feedback I mean nobody ever called up and said hey man why aren't you playing the eagles anymore they would say, <laughs> I don't think so yeah would say they would say hey hey play that nick low record again man that was really good it's funny that you mentioned that tom because that's how i actually came to know the paisley underground was because i was the guy calling in our local college radio station kksm in san marcos palomar community college i was the one mm -hmm. asking for kkk took my baby away from the ramones 
Wow. And while I was waiting every week, and while I was waiting for the DJ Art Deco to to play the song, um, in in my own time came from the three o'clock, and that was my introduction to Paisley Underground. So I was that guy. I was the one calling every week requesting a song. Not quick. Yeah. Messenger. Not not Quicksilver. No. Not Quicksilver. Not, <laughs> not Linda Ross uh, had a Quicksilver. What you so the DJ you listened to his name was Art Deco, right? That's what he went by. Yes. And I'd forgotten, but Russ Tolman was on the air for years, yes. but he used the name Dexter Deadbolt. And I got to ask him why Dexter, he did that. Dexter, or that... Dexter W. Deadbolt. Oh, okay. <laughs> Steve, did you ever think that you needed a, a, an alias on? I don't remember you having a, a fake name. No, I, I never, I never, I don't, I don't know why Russ gave himself. I mean, I, I know he was simultaneously to being a DJ at KDBS. He was on... What station was in town? The, the country station? Where, um, was it KFAT? Uh, no, K- <laughs> it was programmed by the music director of KFAT, a guy named Gordy. It's K-Y-L-O. K-Y-L-O. For Yolo right, County. right. And yeah, he got me on there uh, in 1980. I was doing weekends, but it was completely automated. Uh, right. Uh, so you, you just watched just, the machines. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you made sure to, you were babysitting the machines and uh, cutting all the introductions back announcing but it was all taped your actual your back announce would be taped and you would hit the tape and at that point i don't know why but i had a, a fake dj name i was the urbane cowboy the urbane i don't urbane. remember that okay didn't I, but i, I remember yeah, you Russell, you may have left by then no no did I, you leave early in 80 so i left like may or june of 80 to, to move back to yeah. la but i remember going by and visiting russ and he was ranger russ over there so he was big on the alias <laughs> yeah. he was ranger russ extra I never, I never, no, I, I never thought of having an alias, but I do, you know, I, I laugh a lot now because my show, as you know, was called Three Minute Rock and Roll. And it was kind of a funny thing for me because I was, look, I, I'd like to think I had pretty good music tastes throughout, you know, the, my, all my life. And I was, you know, my, my favorite bands were The Who and, and you know, whatever other bands and Roxy Music was my number one favorite band by that point. But Green's you know, Clearwater Revival. Green's, yeah. But the, but the fact is through mainly a lot because of Roxy and things like that, I kind of had my prog side and I will admit to having had a few yes and even ELP records in high school and stuff like that. So I was, you know, into the prog a little bit. And the fact that I decided, okay, that's over now and everything has to be under three minutes. And I really kept to that. Nothing on my show would be over three minutes. That was, that was my thing. So pretty strange. I I did contribute a little, I did turn up my nose when you exhibited those tendencies, I, I will admit. The progs, well, no, but I quickly, I, yeah, I quickly pushed those to the side. I like, you know, I'm like, you know, it was over overnight. Like, I never <laughs> liked it, but of course, and I, you know, I don't play, I still don't play, <laughs> I don't listen to much yes and no ELP, but the, the reality is, but of course, now, right now, hey, look, we do listen to all those bands. Well, some, I haven't circled back to ELP, by the way, I saw an interview. I mean, Nick Cave says like his main influences are General Giant and ELP, and yes, so right. That's, Whatever that tells you, but the, but the, but the funny thing is, for Mister Three Minute Rock and Roll, my last album, the opening track was twenty minutes long. So I guess you know, <laughs> I guess I kind of got over that. <laughs> yeah, and don't forget, eventually everyone ends up listening to the Grateful Dead. You're right. It's true. <laughs> I don't know how that happened. But you know, we didn't play the Grateful Dead um, on KDVS per se. I mean, they they had been playing them, I mean, you know, along with the LA stuff that they were playing, but. We just, I was a huge Dead fan, but then they got so bad. And you looked around and you said, Well, these new bands are so much better. And 
just it wasn't even a, a choice. I mean, they were just out. But you know, the Grateful Dead were much more in sync with what the the UC Davis crowds were, were interested in. Uh, I don't know. I did get some blowback. I reviewed a for the Cal Aggie when I reviewed their show in Sacramento in early '78. <laughs> I I ended up getting some letters to the editor. Oh yeah, I remember. Just, How dare he? <laughs> he obviously doesn't know what he's talking about. The debtors are the best. And, uh, but I think I pretty much ignored them my whole time on KDVS. I mean, we just, just, just wasn't a factor. We were trying to get uh, away from that. We were very, we were very just disciplined in what we were all about, you know, and, and, yeah. and by the time we left in 1980, by the time we broke up the old gang of mine, Kendra and I moved to LA, um, you did shortly after, <laughs> you know, we'd kind of all, I don't know. I, I feel like we kind of had this shared aesthetic. Of course, we all liked things we each of us liked and had, you know, differences in our taste and all that. But we kind of were just, you know, behemoth. I know I'm because I remember the old guard of DJs at KDBS were kind of either intimidated by or annoyed by us after a while because we were this mafia of 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 what we consider ourselves to be tastemakers. So fast forward because I know we could go on Davis forever. I could not because I have romantic memories of David. But fast forward, you moved to LA. And you're living down in Los Angeles now in the same city as me and Kendra. We're working in record stores together, actually living together in L.A. In, my, in the down there basement. You, yes, the, I got to live down there for a while. That's right. You, that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's a little side angle. You lived in the down there, the basement of my mm-hmm. dad's house for six months, something like that, for a while. Yeah, yeah, until I found an apartment of my own and moved to the Valley because yeah. I was working in the Valley at Moby Disc. And I, but I remember sometimes uh, we used to listen to KNAC out of Long Beach. I think sometimes we would try and was it didn't they have a lunchtime new wave program? And we used to try and get home and be there at noon to listen to wow. uh, them play the jam and stuff like that. Uh, wow. You do you remember that? No, at I, all? I don't. That's funny. I don't remember that. Yep. Yeah. We used to do that occasionally uh, down there. Yeah. And the down, that, was, that was a good hangout. That was. Yeah. The original down there resident. You were, you were the. Um, the intern before the yeah you know there's a there's a, there's a podcast about that somewhere i know there you go. down there thing. it's crazy the the way these things have gotten so niche i mean uh, oh well down there records Look, down there records coming back in 2022 and that's all i can say about that right ooh. now but there's a there's a little, little right. scoop so there that's more about that later but okay so you're you're in la now and you're not to say not to make it all about me in the scene but it is the theme of the show you start to see within a couple of years, all your old friends making records, getting out there. Suddenly there's like, you know, alternate learning, ultimately game theory, and then white rope and dreams. Thin get, rope. Yeah. And through and, West and all this stuff's happening all of a sudden there, you know, and what do you, th- what do you think and, about all this? Is it, is, is it weird? Well, I was in a different position then to support the music in that working at Moby disc. Um, I was buying the records for the stores and selling them and, and, you know, it wasn't as big an influence as, as playing the music on the radio for people or promoting shows, but people would come in and they would, I, I can remember, you know, when REM first came around and by then I'd built up a clientele where people would say, yeah, it was like when we used to go to Rather Ripped and we'd say to Ray Farrell, hey, what's great this week? And people would come in and I'm like, oh, you got to get this record Chronic Town. Mm-hmm. And of course we stocked all the Paisley Underground stuff. It's like, oh yeah, the Salvation Army, man, these guys are, uh, they're hot and uh, you got to. And uh, hey, my buddy here, uh, the Dream Syndicate, have this EP. It's really good. Yeah. I think you'll, uh, well, you might like this. So, uh, <laughs> and, and, you know, all those bands, we, we definitely, as an L.A. independent record store, 
and as we got bigger, there were several locations. We, we definitely, that was one angle. We definitely pushed local music because we could sell it pretty, but mostly we sold Jethro Tull and Pink Floyd. And at, at one point I was like, oh man, I don't know if I can do this anymore. When they invented CDs, I definitely had a, a crisis where I thought, am I going to just sell the same Pink Floyd albums again for another 10 years? Oh, so I, oh. <laughs> fortunately it didn't quite work out that way because then you end up with the alt country scene and there was a whole other scene that you could push and the, you know, true West was out there and they were, the long riders were uh, doing something kind of new and, and you could go to the shows and you could tell people about it. And, you, uh, and then I had that radio show on K rock in the mid eighties, uh, oh, new American rock. Which I forgot I all about you guys that. down there. Yeah. You forgot all it. I did. Tom. The dream syndicate oh, my there. God. Oh concrete blonde so yeah i was on the radio again um because there was a dj called the swedish eagle yes and he uh, he he, <laughs> he ended up getting heavily into dance music because that's what happened in the 90s but he always had his eye out for what could be the next big thing my friends over at moby just seem to think this these american bands like the meat puppets or i maybe i can get tom down to play these records once a week <laughs> at midnight mm -hmm. And I did that for a couple of years. And I, then I would get, I, we had the replacements come down. We had uh, interviewed the smithereens and uh, stuff like Scruffy the Cat we would play. And so again, it was, and we played the three o'clock and all those records. That, and right at the end of the show, they just start playing Duran Duran and the Thompson Twins again. But for that 40 minutes on K-Rock, uh, we were, I was trying to present again, just like I'd done a few years earlier, hey, there's good music out there that isn't synthesizer-based. Here's some of it, and they're playing at the Palomino this week. You can go see Firehose, and they're great, right. and here's the new Firehose record. And um, So that's a little after the Paisley scene, but it was, still, again, the Dream Syndicate with the, you know, the, the late 80s indie rock college alternative, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um, so I, I still felt that I was contributing there either because I was able to sell the records to some people or, uh, Oh, and I, I was also writing a, a column monthly for a Scott's tissue. It was a little oh, industry yeah, fanzine. Yeah, yeah. And I was doing the same exact thing. I was saying, you know, they were pushing Tom Petty cause that was their big thing, but they had a page with me saying, Hey, here's Scruffy the cat. And, uh, the Minutemen have turned into fire hose and you should listen. And, uh, you know, again, I did that for a while. So I've always tried to contribute in the direction that I thought was better for people. You know, even if I had to kind of sneer at them and say, no, no, put that down and you really should listen to this. And you would do that. I, uh, I know that. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I never told someone, oh, don't buy Jethro Tull, buy R.E.M., but it, um, it did develop in that way anyway. And so, you know, it's just part of, I don't know about unheralded. I was just one of those guys behind the scenes, behind the front lines, uh, helping it happen in that direction. And, that, and, 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 now, uh, and now Freak Beat, you're in a place where you actually, it's, I seem to me more conducive because more focused to the kind of audience. Uh, Am I wrong? No, you're you're very wrong. <laughs> oh no! I'm th I'm thinking I'm, I'm, th I'm th like now you're working in the cool hippest store in LA with the hippest clientele. Uh, I guess well, I, I guess I go at the wrong times. 
post-pandemic, I mean, uh, some of our audience is aging out. Now, I, I met Jeff a couple weeks ago. He came into the store. That's great. I, I sold him, and here I'm going to plug my new book, which I never thought Good. I'd be able to do. Good. But I con- contributed to Go Further, More Literary Appreciations of Power Pop. And I had all these photos from back at KDVS when I would interview the Ramones and the Pop and the Rubenus, and I would take some pictures. And I still had them. And they had done this book called Go All the Way. And I said, yeah, this book, I, I kind of liked it, but I, I hate getting a music book that doesn't have any photos in it. And I've, I've got photos of all these bands. Yeah. Here. And the guy was like, uh, let me get back to you. And sure enough, they did a sequel and they used 16 of my photos, plus the cover photo of The Knack, which we saw together yes. at the UC Davis Rec Hall. Yep. Anyway, and so Jeff came in and said, hi, I'm Jeff. And I said, oh, here, I didn't say buy my book, but I said, um, this is what I've done recently. And he found some interesting record. I think he bought a big star tribute album, in fact. Oh, I did, yeah. But Jeff is not our mainstay customer like it was 10 years ago. Now, since the pandemic and since Amoeba Records in Hollywood got closed for a year, mm. they got stuck moving their location. We got a whole new crowd now. We get a lot of 20 and 30 something kids who are, you know, vinyl is back. I don't know if you've heard this, but uh, I heard cassettes are been back. a resurgence. <laughs> yeah. No, no I, I'm not going there. <laughs> so the, at this point, it's just my job is trying to make sure we have all the latest hip hop records on back order so that when they actually do get pressed up again, oh. we'll have Kanye West in stock. And just like in, in 1991, I, I was not real jazz to be selling Will Smith, DJ Jazzy Jeff CDs. <laughs> this year, I'm not real hip. to say, I don't care if I sell Willow Smith's album to people, but that's what, I, that's what I'm reduced to now. I mean, the but, one bright light yes. <laughs> is all the reissues of music from the 70s and 80s, mostly coming from England. The, the box sets that people like Grapefruit and... Um, esoteric do are, are mm. just fantastic mm-hmm. and uh some again but we've gone full circle to some of the music that we hated back then because <laughs> it just became out of date yeah and now it sounds pretty good yep. because it's before disco and before sequencers and people were actually playing instruments right right so no it's it's a uh i mean it's a good time for record stores in that there are people coming in to buy vinyl, but it's very hard to get a lot of vinyl because there aren't enough pressing plants. There were some record stores that went out of business in LA because of the pandemic. Um, I mean, we've been doing great, but it's not the same anymore. In fact, and, and some of our customers have aged out. I mean, uh, I don't know of too many that have died, but some of them move away. They, we've been buying a lot of record collections from people their their 70s and 80s records uh, are worth a lot of money now and they're they're finally deciding i don't need these anymore i found this steve hillage streaming somewhere <laughs> I, I guess i can get rid of the records yeah. um which, but yeah which, seven which, which, singles. By, which by the way is i i'm proud to say um is one of the um i think i was the contributor to most of the stock at freak beat when you guys opened <laughs> because yes, Steve uh, yes. sold us his record collection early on. Of course, it would be worth two or three times as much yes, now, but we paid two or three, two or three. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> and Steve was also the first performer that we had at Freak Beat. We had a, a stage, yep. and he came in and did a solo show. It was a, we've had many people f- perform. Mm-hmm. We 
had the reunion shows by the three o'clock years ago, and we had one of the last American shows by the Muffs. Hi, Ronnie. And hey, Ronnie. Uh, I hope Ronnie made it this far. <laughs> and, and, and you also had, you had the three by four um, signing party, right? That I couldn't get out for. Yes. When the th- yeah, and I tried to get Dennis Duck to, to rep for the Dreams because we had uh, Vicki Peterson and Danny Benair and um, Michael Quercio, I think. And I tried to get Dennis, but it was Thanksgiving time and he had a family obligation. He was going to be out of town. Because, of course, Dennis and I were hanging uh, at the club where Mushroom used to play. Pat Thomas, is, it's just the same. These are the five people that will be listening to this podcast. We've just named oh, them. Oh, come on, come Point on. that. Because no, I'm going to say this, because I, I, I know we're near the hour mark, and I'm not sure how tight we are on the time thing, but I, I will say to, to bring a, after the, the, the gloom and doom you just, you just placed into the whole picture here, I'm going to say you still are in position much as you were 45 years ago to turn somebody on to some kind of music that will change their life and maybe get them to start a band. And I will cite just one, you selling white light, white heat to Maui Cyrus could possibly essentially <laughs> change your direction yes. at some point. Cause that happened, right? Um, that did happen. It was, uh, I think. And the funny thing was Robert Hilburn was in the store <laughs> at the same time. We were doing a book signing with him, uh, I forget which book. Oh, his Johnny Cash book had just come out. So Bob Hilburn was there signing books and it was getting late because everybody wanted, he was so gracious talking to everybody. So in the meantime, Miley Cyrus and a handler show up and she's got all these records and it, it's, it was, maybe it's still on YouTube somewhere. Me, some old guy selling Miley Cyrus, a bunch of records. And yes, White Light, White Heat was one of them. She bought a few other hip records. Wow. I got to look that up on YouTube. Yeah. Um, and just before the pandemic, I think one of the Kardashians was in with a, a, a posse, <laughs> but they didn't buy any hip records. Oh, okay. I think it was Kendall, Kendall Jenner. Is she one of them? I think she's yeah one of the younger ones. Okay. Yeah. She and her posse came in and bought a lot of records, but not as hip as Miley. I got to give Miley that. They, 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 they weren't buying Trap Mask Replica or something like that? No, they're uh, basically her friends were telling her, "Oh, you got to get this record here," and it wasn't big star. No. Okay, now, <laughs> well, okay. well do, do, do you guys have more questions? Because I, I, I know you know, I we're near the the, the witching hour of the Tom Grayson tribute show. But are there are the things that you guys are curious about? Um, well, I wanted to to follow up on some new stuff, but I'm glad Tom that you brought up the book. Um, I so not only um is your name credited for the book, but I've seen your name listed in several albums, including the Dream Syndicate, the complete live at Raji's um, as photos. Yes. So you've had several photo credits. Um, yeah, again, it was part uh, of, of my contribution to the scene. Um, I had access in, in Davis to the dark room on campus because I was doing a design, getting a design degree. And then in the mid eighties in the San Fernando Valley, I, I started taking photo classes at Pierce College, which is one of those uh, community colleges, which are actually just high school with ashtrays. <laughs> but I was able to use their dark room for three years until they finally said, uh, okay, you're gonna have to actually structure some kind of program here to get a degree. And I'm like, ah, that's too much work. I'm, I'm done with the dark room. <laughs> so I got it, but yeah, I was shooting the dreams to Nick at Dan and, uh, and maybe someday there'll be a book about 
the 80s college rock scene in my Yola Tango photos at the lingerie will wow. be out there. I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's amazing how this stuff is starting to pop up. But again, it's such a limited audience, but there are so many avenues for everything. When I found out about this podcast, I'd scrolled through the episodes. It was fascinating and frightening. I think these guys are stalkers. I know some of these people. <laughs> I, I know of all these people, but I want to listen to the Bengals hairdresser episode. I hope I live so long. I don't know. That, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's, it's a great, it's a great show. I tell, I, I, I'm, I'm a fan and it's, and you guys are great that this exists. And I'm going to tell you something. I don't agree. I, I know the more than just you, me, Pat, and Ronnie are listening for, for a fact. But, I'll tell you that right now. but I, I'll tell you, I tell you a quote I read this morning that blew my mind. And I think this kind of ties into all of this to what I do, to what, to what you know, to, to what, to what we're all, what all four of us do. I was listening to um, Momus this morning, the, 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 the Scottish artist. Uh -huh. Yeah. And I, started reading about him as I often do. And I went to his Wikipedia page and articles and he had a quote I'd never heard before that I thought was fantastic. That is very inspirational. And he said, this is, he said this 30 years ago before the internet, he said, in the future, everybody will be famous for 15 people. <laughs> <laughs> a variation on the Warhol quote. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Very good. And that's perfect. Good old moments. <laughs> Every, yes. In the future, everybody will be famous for 15 people. And you know what? That's good enough for me. <laughs> well, Tom, I do have a question for you because I need you to know that I was a loyal Moby Disc customer. I am a Valley girl. And okay. uh, Moby Disc was my place to discover new music. So please, let, uh, I just mm -hmm. want you to know, not everyone was buying the same Pink Floyd or Jethro Tull album. It was my place <laughs> to go. And it felt like the only place I could go to to find it in the valley in a land of licorice pizzas and and other places Moby Disc was really my yes my well, we, well thank you we definitely did our again we were pushing the paisley underground type stuff the whole way and and yeah we were local boosters and uh, that was my contribution at the time again but then I also was dabbling in uh, a bit of writing, photography, DJ work, and and that's what I've always enjoyed doing, mainly so I could get free records. <laughs> to this day. <laughs> to this. Oh, no, there's no free records anymore. <laughs> well, well, I wanted to ask just a, a, a question to kind of bring it back to the Paisley Underground for a second. So since you are a person with very strong opinions and... Uh, and I, I want to hear one of them. And that is what made this Paisley underground scene? Because, you know, Jeff and I, you can call us stalkers, obsessed, you know, super fans, whatever you want to say. But for us, this scene really had an impact on us. And we're not the only ones there. Trust me, there's more than 15 people that agree with what we're saying. But what was it about this scene that came on really really caught your attention or what was it about it that caught your attention and then you know and then other trends came and other things happened but what was it that grabbed you you know again just like in at uc davis it was an organic scene that just grew out of people meeting each other having shared interests and then having an avenue whether it was a record store to get their records in or a club that would let them play on a Thursday night or a barbecue that everybody would get together on, uh, was it Saturday or Sunday? Sunday. Um, 
I never got to go because I always had to work. Uh, they were um, fun. Yeah. So uh, again, it. I, I don't know, Steve. W- there was nothing but a a natural growth. I thought it seemed to me, and if you if you were interested, you were accepted, and you were there. And if if you weren't, you you moved on to different things. But and you hmm. and you were there for a lot of those early shows, weren't you? I mean, yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh man, I can remember talking to you at 3 a.m. on the phone after a show at the music machine and you, you know you'd occasionally I mean I'm sure you were just so adrenalized you would call me up like so how was the show tonight I'm I like, did you're right you know almost every yeah, show I would call you up yes yeah we would uh, either hang out after the show at Arlene's and get apple fritters and uh, <laughs> uh, talk about the show or about the people there or the other bands and um, and usually I mean those early dreams of the shows you never knew. I mean, occasionally they would crash, but uh, you would always go hoping it would be magic, which it usually was. I mean, the shows, uh, again, it was magic. And every once in a while, the shows were a little sloppy and would degenerate into eh, not the greatest night. I'd be kind of embarrassed to have brought somebody this night. <laughs> but other nights, it was a show like, I've never seen anything like that. I- I'd have to go again. And we would be, I think, I think, uh, intentionally unhinged and pushing it to the point where I would, oh. where, 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 <laughs> and that was, I think, I think, what made the shows often great or often not so great. And I do remember, yeah. and I do remember, you're right, Tom. I would regularly call you after almost every show back then and say, "Well, what, what, what happened? What, you know, did what did you experience?" Because <laughs> I, I was inside my head the whole time. So tell me, please. Yeah, or you were outside your body. Well, you had no idea yeah, what was yeah, going exactly on. right. Yeah. And I mean, the shows where Carl would climb up onto the amps and jump off during the middle of a solo. I mean, you know, hopefully he would stay in key or mm, uh, the sometimes. feedback would fit in. <laughs> so, yeah, when it, when it did, it was just the most amazing thing. Wow. Well, this is yeah. very enlightening for me, Stephen. I'm glad that you suggested this because I didn't realize what a huge tastemaker mm-hmm. and influence that Tom was. Oh, no, let- Let's just hear it for the little people. <laughs> yes, by all means. So, Tom, with that being said, as our resident tastemaker on the scene now, is there anything that you would re- recommend that's current um, to us? Oh, God, no. I mean, I, I try to stay away from listening to all the Grateful Dead shows that are on re-listen. I mean, you can listen to anything in the world. Current, current. On... <laughs> Yeah, current. I mean, you know, I look forward to hoping the next Wilco album rocks out or something. I mean, they're one of the best bands in the world right now, but sometimes they they put out sleepy records and I I want them to rock harder and I hope for that. So I'm always listening, Uh, but I don't get many free records at all anymore. So if something we hear about is interesting, we we have Spotify at the store and we listen to it that way. And uh, when a record like uh, a band like King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard comes along and, and they have some really good albums and then you get free tickets to see them at the Palladium and you go. And unfortunately, they're not very good. They're, they're like, oh, wait, really? they have three. They have three guitar players and they didn't jam at all. They did three and four minute songs. They were like, what about those psychedelic albums where they do the 10 minute songs? How come they're not doing that? And So you never know what it's going to be like. Um, I've. I still, before the pandemic, I was seeing a lot of music going out. Uh, now, I don't know. I don't know what the scene will be like or if, if I'm really that worried about it. I mean, uh, 
it got to the point where it's like, oh, the Minutemen are playing again. Uh, yeah, I've seen them all like eight times. I don't need to. What? What happened to D Boone? Oh shit! Wow, man, I should have gone to see him. Oh well, yeah, that was uh, there wasn't that much but, time. Yeah, yeah, it's like so. At this point, it's like. Know, maybe I won't go see Wilco next time they come around because, like, ah, I've seen them half a dozen times. But eh, it's hard to say what's going to happen going forward. I, I don't have a lot of recommendations for people anymore, other than some of the great psychedelic uh, reissue things that have come out in box sets. That, uh, or of course, I've always enjoyed CD bonus tracks. And you know, you get the Steve Wynn box set and it's got four discs of stuff you've never heard before. Yeah. It's like, this is great. I mean, oh, I got to remember to listen to that fourth disc sometime. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, I just well, well, get worn out. Well, there's a new dreams, yeah. new dreams making record next year. So yeah, so hopefully that'll be something you, right. you recommend to the the the, the Kardashians. Yes. <laughs> oh, we yeah yeah definitely stock on that one. So speaking of that, Steve, we had a, a before we let you go that we had a few quick take um, things that we wanted to ask you about. Um, starting with the new Dream Syndicate, how did the how did those sessions go? Last time we talked to you, you were getting ready to head to Virginia. Mm -hmm. Can anything that you could tell us about how they went? It went great, really, really great. I mean, we we spent um, I think what um, seven days together out there, and you know, the it we recorded and um, over everything. We're, we're going to mix in a few weeks. And it's going to come out um, next year. We have a label, but I can't quite say yet. But but it's all being set up for probably a spring summer release on the new album, but um. The funny thing about it is what I the song that will probably be the leadoff track was a new song I brought in that we recorded. It was the first thing we played together on the first day after not having seen each other or played together after a year and a half. And we got in, we settled in, picked up the guitars, and Chris Cactus wasn't with us because he couldn't come over from Germany, sadly. Um, he added a lot long distance. But the, me and Mark and Jason and Dennis settled in, got our sounds, picked up our instruments, and played this new song and did the first take and said, yep, that's the one. And that was a good start to the session. And from that point on, we just, wow. it was just, I think we were so happy to see each other and so happy to be playing music with each other or with anybody that we just kind of fell into an easy groove. And the, and the record is really, if any record we've done could be called upbeat, I would say this one is It's kind of a fun and very, um, the, the joy is there. You can hear it in the music. Wow, no 20-minute jams on this one? No, we kind of went the other direction. I mean, I've always said everything, what? E everything, everything we've done, three-minute rock and roll, man. <laughs> oh, there's, there's, <laughs> there's, there's always, there's supposed to be at least one jam per album. Come on, man. Oh. No, there aren't on every, every album doesn't have that. This, this one doesn't, but, uh, um, but you know. Go, they're supposed to. <laughs> come see us live, we'll play Warfrat. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Well, thank you for that, Steve. I appreciate that. So another, no, we're, uh, we're very excited about that. I we're going to be, we're going to be doing, and I'm, I'm really, the, an idea I have, and I've got to kind of get on it because people are booking shows so far ahead of time. But um, I always forget the actual. I think October twentieth is the forty-year anniversary, not this October twentieth, but in twenty-two, the forty-year anniversary days of Wine and Roses, and I really want to play the whiskey on that date. So that's kind of that's kind of a goal I have in my mind. So let's see if that can happen. I think we've got to play LA let's that hope. night. And hopefully the whiskey. I don't know why. It just seems like a fun way to, to have an anniversary party. You can't reopen the music machine? Wouldn't that be great? We need to play where, <laughs> what's there now? Maybe is there an open, empty lot? Or I don't know. I think it's an auto parts store. We'll, play, we'll play the auto parts store then. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it went great. It was really fun. And we're, um, we're playing our first and only show of the year 
um, in Brooklyn um, in December with um here's here's a great new band Iwoods. I mean they're we all know about them they've been around for a while but they're going to be opening the show so that's going to be a blast yes the one yeah. show we're going to do this year yes and they have Victor Kremenacher from yeah in the band now too that's great I know they're such a good band I mean you know I don't know I I, I think um you know this is me and Tom like having our same um, point counterpoint debate 40 years later, but I think there's some really great new bands. I mean, most, and most of them are kind of that sort of psychedelic beyond their years kind of stuff, like, you know, Garcia Peoples and, you know, and, and Eyelids and other things out there. Like, wait, why are these kids all picking up on this stuff this many years later? But, you know, I got interviewed by um, um, for an, uh, some article, I think for Bandcamp about psychedelic music. And the guy who did the interview at some point said, well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm actually 32 years old and I, sort of just in picking up on your music in retrospect i'm into the younger psych bands i went my god it's like that sounds like me talking about the standells back in the late 70s yes yes yeah. nuggets compilation was that nuggets compilation uh, um uh, an influence on you i think it was steve right i think you're on i can remember playing that on on air at kdbs so we definitely had that at the radio station. I definitely would have told any kids like, oh, yeah, you got to check these out. You might remember some of these songs. So definitely an influence on me. Yeah. yeah Did we, you pass that along to um, other um, people that would uh, like it at the radio station or? Yeah. And then now, of course, Steve gets to hang out with Lenny Kay. But, you know, it's a wiggly world. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. So I think we lost Steve. Steve might be on mute. I think so. I guess that's the way it, it ends. The, wor <laughs> the, the world ends oh, wow. on mute. <laughs> yeah, I think so. So we did want to mention that as this is going to be posting, Steve will be on his house concert tour. So I think for a majority of September, that's going to be happening. Um, and so I think he'll be a couple days into that while while this is being released i'm back again <laughs> oh he's back yeah i was gonna say because it's gonna take you till september to edit out half of this interview <laughs> no the one, I, I i i muted myself again which i which i seem to do a lot but um but i i, I wasn't but the, the one thing must have about nuggets that tom i remember is there was a record store down the hallway from kbs called zapple records <laughs> and they had nuggets for two bucks on cutout i think i went and bought all 10 copies and gave them away to people so i, I was I, I was ah. I was Johnny Nugget Seed at the time. <laughs> was, that, was that the uh, Sire reissue with the blue cover? Or was that the original Electra with the psychedelic cover? Blue cover. Yeah, so it was a cutout. Yeah, that first. Yeah, but yeah, we definitely played that record at KDVS. I think. So we do have a future episode where we're going to be talking about that nugget. So I just wanted to pitch that a little bit. Um, Great. So Steve, quick thoughts about the upcoming Dream Syndicate documentary. Uh, it's great. I mean, it's exciting. He, you know, he'd been working, um, Emil Spolder in, in the Netherlands, he's working on this for a long time. He interviewed me and a lot of other people involved. Now it's like four or Including five years me. Ago. And Tom. Tom is, uh, Tom yeah. is in it. And a yeah. lot, all kinds 35 of 35 pounds heavier. And what? <laughs> 35 pounds heavier. <laughs> Plus, I gave uh, I gave him half a dozen, no, a dozen or more photos of the Dream Syndicate and Suspects, which 
I hope are embarrassingly used in the documentary. Uh, it'll be interesting. I haven't, I, I did make the trailer, so I'm, yes. I'm yeah, hopeful. You did. Yeah, and if, and he, I'm actually going over to um I'm I'm doing a tour of Italy in in um in October and I'm going I'm going to stop in in Amsterdam for a couple of days to do a new interview with him because I feel like um I'm not 30 pounds heavier but I but I but <laughs> but, but, but a lot a, a lot's happened since then so I want to kind of update him so it's still but he thinks it's going to happen for next year so like you know I like to think right. I know how this year has been the year of sparks because you know they're they've been <laughs> they've been everywhere they had the documentary they did the movie that came out. And it's, it's great that a band deserves it. I'd like to think next year will be the same for the Dream Syndicate with our our anniversary year and the new record and this documentary coming out, which which will be really okay, cool. Okay, I, I have to jump in with a Spark story because uh, we love Sparks and Bob Say at Free Feet has Spark stories and the I don't know if it's the most current, but a recent guitarist for Sparks was a Freak Freak Beat customer, Ooh. and we remember the day. He came into the show. I can't remember his name, but he'd been a customer for years and he and his brother had been in some bands and, you know, the, the sort of odd bands, alternative type. And uh, he came in one day, he goes, yeah, I'm going to audition for this band Sparks. I mean, is there anything I should uh, oh. listen to or is there a good record? And we're like, huh? Uh, OK, let's see if we have any Sparks here. And we sold him, uh, you know, one or two Sparks records. And uh, I saw him the next year playing with them at the El Rey. They were great. And I, I don't know if he's in the Annette film or not. I'm, I may see it this weekend. And uh, so, yeah, we, we do have a little influence still, even when people just want the new Kanye West vinyl, which isn't out yet. It's digital only. Leave us alone. <laughs> <laughs> so once again, Tom, the unsung hero, the influence upon rippling waves of music out there everywhere. Amazing. Thank you. Amazing. Yeah. Thank you, Steve. All hey, right, Steve. The, 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 the defense <laughs> rests. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I made a note to talk to Soraya after you guys are, are after you guys hang up to um, note that this was almost like a case. And uh, I think Steve definitely brought a compelling case, a compelling argument for sure. Well, great. So one last thing, Steve, before we let you go, and I don't want to slide over the fact that you had mentioned down there 2022. We we can't let that go. Like that, What's I, happening? I, I, I'm not to be cagey. He said he can't I, say anymore. I can't say much more about it, but <laughs> but um, um, let's say there, there will, um, down there will be involved in the new record. It's, but I can't, there's not much more to say than that, but uh, the, we're going to revive the imprint because it's, it's, again, the 40-year anniversary, so it's a good time to to bring it all back where it came from. Fair enough. Fair enough. So so Watch Tom, this Tom, space. I'm, Tom, I'm sad to say you can't move back into the down there offices anymore because oh. my father sold the place. So oh, no. <laughs> I should have used the pool more when I had the chance. Like, oh, I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wanted to thank you both for coming on. And Steve, of course, this is an amazing idea. Tom, thank you for accepting um, this stalker's uh, oh, face yeah, it was by nice, nice to meet you in person beforehand. And Soraya, hopefully, I'll meet you someday. And absolutely, and I'll, maybe I'll remember you from the Bombi Disc days. I don't know. Oh, I doubt it, but <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll delude myself into thinking that you will. Okay. <laughs> well, yes, thank you both so much. And um, we really appreciate it, Steve. Definitely a very compelling argument, Thomas. Yes. So great to learn the impact that you have made on the scene that's so important to us. Uh, guilty as charged. All right. Well, thank you
to be able to talk to Tom, I had to bring him on the show. So I hope to see all of you in person really soon. <laughs> yes. You know, I think we have to say this case is closed. It uh, brings it all back to television. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Nice. Very nice. All right. Thank you both. All right. Bye bye. Bye. Talk bye, to you all later. Bye. Yes, indeed. <laughs> okay. Bye. Wow, Soraya. How did you like the Steve Wynn Paisley stage raspberry and rhyme show? I mean, I think uh, the, the, the prosecutor rests, right? The case is closed. Um, Look, I think, I think the jury, our jury deliberation is going to be quick. Yeah, absolutely. Look, Steve Wynn presented a very, very strong case for Tom's involvement and uh, more than involvement, his impact on the development of Paisley Underground, or at least as it moved down from, from Northern California. Yeah, absolutely. And the fact that there were so many people that it, I, you use the word tastemaker. And I think that was really the appropriate term for Tom. You know, because he really did kind of share uh, new music, different directions, got people listening to different things. And then we saw that ripple effect, you know, Kendra, Russ, Steve. And, you know, then they relocate to Los Angeles. He's still doing that. And I like, you know, Tom kept using the phrase, I was still contributing, or that was my contribution. And I think just that term itself is really, I'm sorry, I can't think in English right now, menospreciando, it's under, it's underestimating or undercutting what he really did. It was really a strong contribution. And then if you think about, okay, well, turning these people onto this music or, you know, I, I the the one thing I wrote down that is that I I I want to see that um, was he said in fall of seventy seven there were a bunch of new rave records there was like a compilation uh, released by Sire that the radio station got and he just said uh, here I'll kind of take these <laughs> home right. and I'm thinking okay now I want to research what came out in seventy seven because that's such a pivotal year for punk right and really kind of changing or at least bringing in the you know the rumblings of new wave and and then you know this coffee house scene this uh, davis coffee house and all these people that make their way through davis but really making their way in and having some sort of um following is really you know tom's got a hand in in some of this he may see it as oh it was just my contribution no i think he really set a really interesting scene and then you know moving into la and he was contributing photos or contributing writing and you know he was a buyer you know moby disc was my record store growing up oh okay I didn't the mid because so in my part of the valley um 
I had a Moby disc relatively close by. And so, you know, I had a big brother that drove two years before I did. And so if he went to go record shopping and, you know, he was home, I was going with him. And then when I started driving, I went to Moby Disc and it was across the street from my local mall. And uh, that's where I went to buy my records. And uh, little did I know that by supporting an independent record seller, I was getting independent music. I was getting things that weren't mainstream. I was listening to shows on K-Rock. I remember this, uh, this new wave hour. Wow. I, seem, I seem to recall it now. Now I got to dig deep, but I think Tom's contribution is, is a little strong, is much stronger than, than I think he paints it. In other words, I think Steve Wynn's argument is cogent and I agree with him. So this juror finds in favor. Thank <laughs> you. Yeah, so uh, listening to this conversation, it made me think how important non-musician players are in this whole scene, mm-hmm. whether it be photographers, writers, um, DJs, promoters. Um, I mean, specifically, we're talking about Tom. Uh, right. But I think it also, um, there's a bigger conversation too with the impact that um other people have in, in the scene besides just the musicians so uh, right whether it be the Bengals hairdresser or what have you right I mean there's there's a lot of players and obviously in this case um Tom was a huge influence so much so that if it wasn't for Tom Game Theory, Dream Syndicate, Thin White Rope, um True West they may be Eagles tribute bands if it wasn't for Tom <laughs> I don't know I don't know but obviously um, his impact um, by exposing um, these youngsters, <laughs> maybe a year or two, three younger than Tom was himself, to this kind of music that uh, was a huge influence on this whole scene and on all these bands that were there. Yeah, I, I'm not going to say any more than that. I absolutely agree. And you know, the fact that, you know, Jeff and I both have copies of this book where uh, Tom has a contribution, go further. The cover. Um, the cover. Of- yeah, a cover, cover art by Tom Grayson. And uh, plus all these fantastic photos in here, you know, uh, the 2020, Ramones, The Knack, uh, Rubenews, um Flaming Groovies. And more to come. He's got Yola Tango photos from Club Lingerie. I'm like, okay, when, when do we get a private viewing of those? But see, it, I think it, it goes to show you that when there's, when there's good music to be listened to, um, the bands aren't the only ones that can tell the story. The fans tell a different story from a different perspective. But then you've got the people way behind the scenes of people like programming in radio stations because, you know, what did he say? He said, um, the initially, um, sorry, I had to write it down. Uh, initially, a, a seven inch by the Ramones got thrown out. 
Can you believe that? The station, I'm thinking, what? I know. Right? How did that happen? Right. But then again, you got to think. Ramones come in, come in. This station had been playing, you know, um, Grateful Dead and other things. And here comes a sound that's very different. Just, you know, it's hard to categorize what it is. And someone just go, ah, crap, trash. Yikes. And then he said, I knew this is, you know, Tom said, I knew I had to help change the direction of things. And so it's when people have this kind of vision, like this music speaks to me, and this is why people need to hear it. And then it's literally a ripple effect because, you know, as Steve said, you know, I was listening to, to Tom show and, or the other DJs, you know, him and, and Kendra, public affairs director, <laughs> public affairs. And then, you know, she's, oh, I like that. Yeah. Okay. And then she became a DJ. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, because when I think of Kendra Smith, I only think of her as a musician. Mm -hmm. I just don't think about how or what kind of turned her on, what, what spoke to her musically. You know, I just think of her as a musician. And then I hear this completely different story and I say, okay. So then this Davis scene, yes. I got a whole education about the Davis scene today. Yeah. And I have to thank Tom for that and thank Steve for that. Yeah. Because I have very limited knowledge. And now it, you know, the portrait is bigger now. Yeah, absolutely. Of Pace in the Underground, the Davis scene, you know, and then, you know, flowing into the LA scene. And I'm sorry, I gotta say it. Steve went and had a show called Three Minute Rock and Roll. <laughs> Three minutes? <laughs> right. Of all people. That's one guitar solo on the last song. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> but see, like, this is what's so interesting to me. It's like, and then when he said, when he used the word, you know, now nah, nah, I'm in a prog psych band. Yeah. Like, yeah. He is. He is. Yeah. <laughs> he really is. Yep. Absolutely. absolutely. But more than that, I really also liked the the friendship between the two of them and i really enjoyed listening to this kind of trajectory of a scene in davis that makes its way down here and the other projects that tom goes into and uh it's just really cool to hear and then um let's mention a couple of things that we heard uh down there making a return in 2022 yes uh, Dream Syndicate has a show this year at the end of this year, um, but also solo tour, new Dream Syndicate record. Yes. And are were you surprised that he said first song, lead off track, first take, done deal? Wow. Not a surprise to me anymore. Um, after a couple of years of being dormant or close to that, right? Honey, plug and play like your lives dependent on it and have fun. Yeah. And he and Steve requested that Tom push that uh, to the Kardashians next time that they can get the freak beat. So bloody hell. I think please. I think Tom would only do that if he likes it. And uh it, it, he, Tom was not afraid 
to say what he did and didn't like about correct it, right correct so i don't think it's a gimme that uh that tom's automatically going to be trying to push the dream syndicate it's got to be worth it and if any of the last three records are in any indication i'm sure it mo will most definitely be worth pushing yeah it so this was definitely an eye opener. So I, uh, so I, I, so I have to admit, when we first got the suggestion from Steve that we have to have Tom Grasick on the show because because he's ground zero, right? We both shrugged our shoulders and said, "Okay, really? We need to hear about this." So, uh, see, this is why, as my grandma said, you learn something new every day. Amen. You, you and I may be, what was the term Tom used? Stalkers? Stalkers. Oh, did I tell you when I, when I walked into Freak Beat, the first thing, when I, after I introduced him, myself, he said, oh, so you're the Danny Benair stalker. Mm -hmm. um, okay. <laughs> uh, sure. Yeah. But see, like, you know, maybe he lovingly calls us stalkers, but I think it's, precisely because we really have a sincere love for this moment in music in LA for this scene we we have barely scratched the surface yes and this is what you know we're 41. well into the 140 episodes yes 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 so we're approaching 150 here son of a gun see 150 still in pañales still starting out still at the beginning there you go hey man more people come forward more people want to let us sit and chit chat with them and hear things and people like, we're all here for it people like permanent green light um long riders dream syndicate still putting music out that's relevant yeah. amazing so definitely and and you know Rain Parade coming out with new music. Yes, let, let that happen, sorry. Ah, man. And then did you did you also notice the, sorry, going back to the book, the Red Cross photo yes. with Roy in it? Yes. I don't know. I have a feeling Tom's got lots and lots and lots of photos. Yes. That one day, he may just have to let us look. Absolutely. At the photos yeah let's make an on or make an online library one of the two but anyway let's talk yeah. tom grasick and find this his there you go tom grasick find him freak beat records los angeles yeah. <laughs> all right so I, so I oh my gosh this was a lot of fun and thanks again to steve Wynn for the suggestion of the topic and to tom grasick for coming on very very graciously and chatting with us and letting us hear the story absolutely absolutely so, mi gente, agrubiar. Groove on, pays the people. So I was telling Soraya that this is the Steve Wynn Paisley stage show today. Well, I, I, I want to set, set things up then, then, then have you guys sort of, you know, step in and, and but I, I feel like I got to set the table so we can all sit down and dine together. 
<laughs> Sounds like good. That. All right, I'm pulling up my chair. So <laughs> Steve, take it away. Are we, are we diving right in? Sure, let's do it. All right. Well, to the uh -oh. show. But this... I think you want to mute real quick. Okay. Uh oh, yeah, you just cut out. Did I really? Okay. Yeah, let's start over. I'm not sure why. That... Okay, I think we had that problem one time before. Let's see. I guess the thing is to hold the phone away from me so I don't touch it. Are we good here? Yeah. That's... Yeah. Okay. I'm going to not get too close to the phone. That's the way to go. I did that one time before. Anyway, <laughs> do you do you want to introduce me to set the thing? What, how, how do you want to do this? Sure. Okay. 